I'm Joe Kane. I'm Dan Kane. I'm Sal Conca. And I'm Wayne Heckler. And this is the Imperfect Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at hecklercane.com and download our episodes for free on iTunes and SoundCloud. To the bumper. So today on the Imperfect Podcast, we have president of Phoenix Films, David LaRosa. He's talking about his new film, Clandestine, featuring Tom Sizemore. It's a film about the war on drugs, and it actually happens to take place on Long Island. They've won quite a few awards at uh, film festivals. Well, we found out that it also came from uh, true stories from a police officer that was on Long Island. Correct. The so, writer, Kat, writer. Uh, Kate, who yeah. um, is, is Phoenix Films' writer. Yeah. Um, and the daughter of a former police officer. Yep, correct. Yeah. All right, so let's get talking to uh, David. David, welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for joining us today. You came all the ways out to Long Island, and where are you hailing from? Uh, New Jersey. Awesome. Yes. Right across the river. Born yeah. and raised out there? Yep, born in Lincoln Park, New Jersey, and then uh, we're living in Union City right now. I just want to give a quick out to, shout out to Wendy at um, Studio Matrix, who connected us. You know, she, uh, Wendy Shepard's great. She's been giving us a lot of guests uh, lately. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you came to us through your film, um, Clandestine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all had a chance to watch it. It looks great. I can't wait to talk about it. But first, I'd like to talk a little more about you and how you got involved with film and a bit of your background, any formal training, things like that. So moving, being in Jersey, what, how did you get to catch the film bug? Um... I actually have a, a cousin I've never met who was involved in a uh, uh, 1970s sitcom show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, he was actually was my favorite character on that show. And then when I found out I was related to him one day, my parents dropped the bomb on me. That's um, cool. <laughs> I was like, you know, blown away by it. Um, so I think the fact that I could... I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, probably getting a little too psychological on this, but I think the fact that I could see someone on TV, but then there was some type of relationship, and my grandfather was his, uh, what do you call that? When someone's your... Um, Second cousin, yeah. twice no, removed. No, or... you're the godfather. So. Godfather. Gotcha. Yeah, there we go. Um, so... He made you an offer you couldn't refuse. That's what happened. <laughs> well, they're not Italian on that uh, side, right. so that's why I couldn't <laughs> say um, But, uh, yeah, I just think there was something about that, that... that you know, started my interest in it, and then I always loved creating, and I loved, uh, you know, being a kid in the 70s, Star Wars came out, and then it was, you know, your your creativity and your head just explodes with, sure. you know, possibilities, and then, um, you know, time just went on, and I always thought it was interesting, I always had a little bit of a bug for it, and then um, got into high school, started doing plays, and then um, decided when I graduated I didn't want anything to do with any type of acting, so I majored in political science. <laughs> and then realized that was basically acting anyway. Uh, so <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, I got out of, uh, I dropped out of Montclair State over in Jersey, and I just started taking acting classes like crazy. Um, it's actually where I met my wife, was in acting classes. So, um, And then uh, we started a theater company in 2000, and I guess six. We got kind of tired of... Uh, you know, showcases and auditions and all that stuff. We kind of want to start doing our own work. Um, and that was, you know, relatively successful. We didn't owe money at the end of it, but we didn't, weren't able to go on a vacation. <laughs> uh, and then from there, we went to, uh, started making our own uh, kind of web series. We did like a web series. Nice. Um, and then we officially founded Phoenix Films in 2008, and we made our first uh, project, and we just kept on building. Before Marvel had their phases, we had our phase, which was that uh, 
we wanted to learn and make more our mistakes is we were a group of four actors mm-hmm. who had no, we didn't even know how to turn on a camera. I remember right. like we'd have a shoot and I was directing and um, I'm calling up one of the tech guys in our ensemble saying like, oh, you know, where's the power button? How do I turn the, how do I turn the camera on? <laughs> and, um, and that was our anxiety back then. Now our anxiety is where do we get, you know, who's our next investor? Where are we going to get this from? Where are we going to get that from? So uh, are we filling out the union paperwork correctly? Yeah. You know, that's, those are our anxieties now where it used to be, where's right. the on button on the camera? So, sure. Um, clandestine was always meant to be um, the culmination of that phase one. And then after phase one, we would then use what we learned on that film and build up. So we have about five scripts now. And we're starting to go out there and we're looking for our investors and everything. And, um, you know, the indie film scene has changed so much. It used to be in the 90s that, um, you know, how many theaters are you in? You know, where's your premiere? What city or whatever? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's changed now to how many platforms are you on and which ones? So. With this film, we were we didn't really even know that at first. We our sales agents. We have an amazing group of guys called uh, Circus Road Films out in L.A. Um, and then our distributors are Candy Factory. Um, they did a really solid job as well. And um, you know, you just kind of realize that the platforms are really where it's at for indie at our level. Um, indie with celebrities is different, you know, sure. A-listers than indies with us or you know, uh, people who no longer are A-list. But um, you know, it's pretty cool. Sure. The film's on, uh, on Amazon, iTunes, Dish Network, Google Play, mm-hmm. PlayStation Store, and there's a couple of more that uh, they said are on the way, but we can't see anything yet. So. Well, let well, me ask you, how did Clandestine come about? Like, where did this come from? <clears throat> this came from our writer, Kate McGrath, who's also one of the owners of the company. Um, Kate's father was a Long Island police officer for th- over 30 years. And when she was a kid, she would hear these stories about... Um, things that happen there's a i don't want to give it away for anyone and see the film but there's a scene with something that happens under a bed um and in her father's experience it was actually under a kitchen cabinet sink and he opened the the door and he saw these eyes just back at him so um she said that scared the hell out of her as a kid and um when she came into phoenix in 2008 um she ended up telling me i got this script uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I read it and I was like, script's awesome. I love the script. There's so much stuff. Uh, Heat's one of my favorite movies. So that's why I was so happy we were able to get Sizemore. Um, and I knew there was no way in hell we could make the movie in 2008. We would make it and it would be a colossal waste of time. So um, that was when we started coming up with this phase idea. And it was that we would learn all the skills that we needed and also learn what we couldn't do. Like, what can't we do in-house? Yep. And what do we need to hire people for? And we realized sound and um, a DP. And we had an unbelievable DP, a gentleman called Brad Rigo, who does a lot of, uh, he does a lot of horror films, um, which was the look that I wanted for this movie because so much of this movie takes place at night and addiction is almost a real-life horror Sure. So um, I wanted that someone who could capture that eeriness of shadows, and he uh, he nailed it. I used to say to him on a shoot, I'd, um, I'd say, you remember that Ronald Reagan commercial in the 80s, It's Morning Again in America? I remember how you would feel when you were a kid, and you'd go downstairs, and you'd be eating a bowl of cereal, and that commercial would come on, <laughs> and then Smurfs was on. And He's like, yeah, no, I actually do know what you're talking about. I said, can you make the room look like that? And then he would say, 
uh, give me 15 minutes. <laughs> and then he would run off, and then he would come back, and it was like, holy crap, he nailed cool. it. So it was, it was awesome. It was really cool. But that was, I think, the biggest thing we realized was what can we do and what can't we do. How um, important is the relationship between the DP and the director? Um, probably the most important relationship. Um, and we went through, we interviewed a lot of people um, for that. We did uh, Mandy.com before it was changed to Film and TV Pro, I think they're calling it now. Um, and I put a posting up and we got um, 300 to 400 resumes back and reels and everything. And I literally sat through every single one and I watched them all. And then I emailed everyone back and thanked them or told them I wanted to speak with them. And some people were pissed <laughs> about that. Mm -hmm. But then this one guy, um, uh, Barry Markowitz, who's the DP for Crazy Heart and a bunch of other films, the, LB, the uh, LBJ movie that just came out that Rob Reiner's directing. It's right. actually premiering, I think, in World Fest Houston, where we were last year. Um, and uh, he contacted us, and he was a really cool guy, and he wanted to work, for, you know, work with us, which I thought was awesome. Um, but we couldn't afford him. Yeah, so. I was going to say, if you could afford <laughs> right. him, right? Right. But, you know, we've, we kept in touch for a bit, and um, he was very appreciative of how we handled ourselves as a company, that we were very professional and everything. And uh, it was nice. It was very nice. So, um, sure. you know, I think the fact that he liked the script, I got me really, mm -hmm. I was already excited. But the right. fact that he came out and said, I really want to be involved in this movie. And I was like... Mm. It gets you pumped up. Right? Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. well, can you call Rob Reiner or <laughs> yeah, right, Tommy right. Lee Jones? <laughs> got to no. take it to the next level, yeah. right? He's right. like, no, nah, I can't do that. I'm like, nah, well then, you know, can't use you this time. Right, right. <laughs> but, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm curious about um, the company itself. It has a very poignant mission statement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you just talked about phases of the company and a very um, defined business plan. You were a poli-sci major. You're an actor. Where does the business acumen come from? Because it's clearly a bit. You guys are clearly treating it as a business. Well, I went. Ended up going back to school, okay. <laughs> so um, I went back and I changed my um, my uh, major to uh, psychology because I think if you want to be in this business, you have to understand <laughs> people. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to understand yourself. So you're shrinking this business is a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so we, I went and did that, and then I had so many credits, I was able to minor in political science. So that was cool. At least I wasn't a waste. Um, and then I went, and then I graduated October of 2008, just as the recession hit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, everybody in government was saying, go back and get your master's. So I went back and got my master's, um, and I ended up getting a master's in social work. So once again, I had that psychology element. But the thing I liked was they also had something you could do a, a dual concentration, which was administrative, but then also therapy. So I've used so much of Fordham's <laughs> teacher's time in developing a lot of uh, business aspect of it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I don't, you know, the, the four of us, I think we were surprised by whatever business sense that we had. Um, and some of it was just natural. It was just a lot of instinct. Um, mm -hmm. this is a good idea. This isn't, if we're going into people's places of employment, we have to sign releases. I mean, we, you know, saying it's our responsibility if we break something. In our first film, Lock, Low, Love, that we made for $400, um, I mean, it looks, you know, it looks like we made it for $400, but it's still <laughs> funny, which is cool. But, um, I think that's where I realized, like, our trade is, is the story and the ability to relate to an audience. That's what we have as as a film company, as Phoenix Films. Um, other people have amazing looking stuff, 
but I don't feel that connection. And in general, with a lot of stuff nowadays, I think, I don't know if the character development is focused on as much as it was maybe 20 years ago. I don't know if someone made The Godfather nowadays, if that movie would be successful. Because people have to sit and watch and pay attention. Right. And there's a story and there's characters and there's things going on. A lot of people nowadays are like, well, when's an explosion? You know, when's something <laughs> blowing up? Um, right. And like I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hypocrite. I've seen most of the Transformers movies and you know a couple of other stuff. I grew up on that stuff as sure. a kid. Um, but you know, there's there's the character development. I think is sorely lacking in a lot of stuff nowadays. Well, so. I was just listening to Quentin Tarantino, an interview with him recently with um, with Dan Rather. He was talking about how just in the old days, going to the movies was an event. It mm. was a night out, and it's just yeah. not as respected as as much anymore. And yeah. you know, and he's trying to change that philosophy again and make um, road shows with mm. you know the types of movies that he's putting out. So I mean, there is there's a smaller cult following mm-hmm. and movement that may go back to that and really appreciating bigger storylines. Yeah. Well, you, you get as simple as how the movie theaters are laid out nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just going to a movie theater and sitting in an uncomfortable chair so you could see that film yeah. isn't good enough anymore. Yeah. Now you have to have like the whole, you know, food being delivered to you and the, the recliners and everything else. <laughs> and the, all the theaters are updating because you need more of that home comfort mm-hmm. or people aren't going. Well, yeah. they need to charge you more for the less real estate that they yeah. can. Because yes. mm-hmm. right, they have less seats, yeah. but they, yeah. you know, they need to make the same amount of revenue. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah, that's what that's it's true. all about. But in our world, obviously, we're we're distributing, you're distributing digitally now and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, when you made this movie, did you have a distribution plan or did that come after the fact? Um, yeah. Well, we had originally placed a large portion of the money towards PR because, you know, we, what we're all in nowadays is like, you know, I had a, a, a Chris Ryan who played Billman in the movie. He's also a co-producer on a film, and I've actually known him since, like, 1999 or something, so it's been a long time. Um, he said, you know, Twitter is a room, a huge room. Everybody's yelling at the exact same volume level. <laughs> and that always made me think, well, how do you get above the volume level? You either need to pay for a spotlight or you need to pay for um, a megaphone. I mean, that's really what you need to end up doing. And take that into like a less ethereal concept, you need to pay for PR. So mm-hmm. that was what our business plan was. Um, we came to a point where, you know, we sent out um, uh, letters of interest to lots of different name actors. We got some really awesome hits. Um, mm-hmm. And then through, you know, myriad of things, why we didn't go with certain people. Uh, but Sizemore was interested from the start. When I asked uh, Kate to go and write a role for a name actor, we were saying, let's be great for like a Tom Sizemore. Um, like you had him in mind. Yeah. I mean, the part was basically written for him. But, you know, when you hear of, you know, some other folks that are massive that, you know, are showing some type of interest, you go, sure. and then you're talking to an investor and the investor says, if you can get this person, I'll give you however much money you want. And then as the director, you, the chase scene in this movie is down Main Street, USA, and they're jumping over cars. And, right. you know, there's a lot of other stuff. So you give into that because you're you're like, well, I could really, really fill this thing out now, you know. Um, but things happen the way they're supposed to. You know, this movie is not – this movie is very intimate. It's about – there's a lot of close-ups. That's a decision the DP and I made is that we wanted lots of close-ups – Lots of moments staying on characters so that you could see what was going on for them. 
Now, one um, thing I like about your characters are they're not one-dimensional. Mm. You know, you see they're not, like, st- uh, stereotypical at all. Yeah. Like, you would think, okay, she's the addict, so she has to act a particular way, but you don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I just want to give you credit for the character development. There's different that. sides. You're seeing, like you said, um, what was your, your, um, your quote was... Um, entertaining realism mm-hmm. right that's one of your things yes yeah, right? and i think that's something you definitely portray well, so i appreciate well it well done yeah, yeah I, I don't you know the thing was with this movie i didn't want you to really like any of the characters for the whole movie <laughs> i right. wanted you to have moments where you didn't like somebody mm-hmm. you know where you thought you did and then you didn't because they they are wimpy or they got they were too hard or they were too manipulative or they were too selfish or whatever. We had this discussion before where we were saying, you know, oh, this guy was so annoying, like right here, mm-hmm. but then he was like really endearing later on, and yeah. like that's that's a that's a tough thing to pull off. Yeah, that contrast. I wanted that. I've always enjoyed, you know, kind of effing with the audience a little bit, <laughs> um, and that was something that I I really want to do with this movie. And all of our prior films, we just kept on working that and i realized that's the thing i really enjoy doing with directing i enjoyed doing it when i was just acting and i wasn't directing at all or writing um Mm -hmm. but it's something directing wise you get to do it with everybody and then you get to just change and you know shape the entire atmosphere of the film which i absolutely love doing so how do you find um now that you're directing features and still acting in them how do you find directing yourself um I keep, I, I know, I don't know. I keep waiting for the big problem. You know, I don't know. <laughs> like, sure. Um, I mean, I love it. I, you know, I really do. It's. Um, I think you know maybe taking some of the psych classes I've taken has helped me to kind of compartmentalize or something. But, um, I mean, I, you know, I get my whole acting approach or whatever is think like the character. So then you just step into those thoughts and then you're there and you're you're done. Your character and. This guy does this, and he's this going on, all this other right. stuff. Um, and it's fun because you feel like, you know, when we were kids and you're all playing with your friends, like, you weren't thinking. You were just playing. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And it's like, you know, what I loved when I was doing the band stuff that I mentioned to you guys before we were on was no one was telling me, I don't like that song, change that key or tune or lyric. It was like, no, this is our song that we're making, and this is what I want. And when you give yourself that freedom, I think as a creative person or an artist, you start to rise above... Um, letting other opinions bother you. They're still going to be there. You know, mm-hmm. people are still going to barrage the crap out of you. You know, we've gotten some fantastic reviews, and then we've had some reviews where I was like, they, you know, I understand not liking something. But <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, cruel. Yeah, I was right. like, did you, did you need to castrate me in the process? Um, but then you look at it, and you don't know what's going on for that person. And, you know, Kate always has a funny comment. She goes, you know, mom's basement isn't always going to be free. You know, so uh, she likes to say that whenever yeah. someone comes out with something. But some people, but to, but to be completely honest, some people just may not like what you do. Yeah. You know, there's certain movies that my wife loves, and I don't. Right. I still know they're a decent movie, though. I just know it's not my my thing. So, um, but yeah, so it's 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 definitely interesting. Of so let's talk a little bit about the production. How mm-hmm. long did shooting last? If you don't mind, what was the yeah. budget? You know, how did you find investors? Um, shooting. What did we do? We started in June. We shot mm-hmm. on weekends, um, and we. Uh, we'd stopped for a while and then we actually when we started shooting we didn't have Sizemore yet gotcha. um and that I skirted around one of your questions before part of our pr once we realized we could get Sizemore was just getting Sizemore so um we took a portion of our pr budget and realized just by having 
an actor of his um, ability in the film, you're going to get a certain amount of PR and press. So that seemed like a good exchange for us. Um, and then what we did was, uh, I think we didn't get him until September. We had already been shooting for like two months. So, yeah. you know, we had backup people we were going to use within our own, you know, Rolodex of folks we've worked sure. with, and we were going to shift some of the other actors around if we needed to and stuff like that. Scenes we hadn't shot yet. Because um, we had set up the whole scheduling in order to be able to pull if we needed to and adjust things. Um, and then we, we um, shot with him in November, I think, and then that was basically it. And then I had to do some pickup shoots of during the, uh, the house raid. Um, so that February in the winter, we shot that in the summer, um, and then that winter, we uh, went back and just shot a bunch of extra DEA agents because I felt like it was just too, it's like, was it like, you know, two people there doing a bus that just doesn't work? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we actually went back a year afterwards. Um, I was watching the movie and I would edit, um, you know, constantly and then uh, wake up my wife at like four o'clock in the morning and ask her to look at scenes. <laughs> um, and she was always a great, she was awesome. She was a... Uh, Definitely a, a fantastic post-production producer, so I could run a lot of ideas by her. And we kept watching the movie and felt like there was this thing missing between, this explanation between Coop and Julia. Um, yep. It was a little vague, and I felt like it, it just wasn't working. So she had a couple of ideas. Um, my parents were always my you know, best critics because they're brutally honest. If something sucks, mm-hmm. they'll tell me, and if it's great, they'll tell me. Um, they, uh, my mother and my father and uh, my wife Janine were all kind of brainstorming one time around the dinner table. And came up that we needed this extra scene. So we explained it. We called Kate. Kate had it written within like two days. And then we filmed that scene that takes place in that park um, where he shows her the picture and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a year after all the filming oh, had wow. finished. So, um, like the movie was done in your mind, and then you added that. So, yeah, we had yeah. to. So I just kept thinking George Lucas, you know, because oh, sure. he does right. that all the time. Sure. Um, you know, actors' weights fluctuate, they got wigs on, you know, all types of stuff. But, um, this but, one lost a limb. We'll put him in there anyway. <laughs> remember, we had, we had to do that with Krista for Jump, remember? Oh, my God, yes, yeah. No, the drop-off. The drop-off. Oh, yeah. yeah. You guys ran into that, too? We ran into that once, yeah. We had uh, shot a whole bunch of stuff, and we watched it back, and we're, like, watching it and going, it's, we need we need something to connect these two things. Yeah, and we got to yeah. call the actress back and, you know. It's tough with in. editing because you could always make it better, too. Yeah. That's yeah. why. It's this nonstop thing that's never finished, some people say, you know. You got to know when the, I mean, you got to know when to walk when, away. Right. I think when I started getting nauseous, then I know <laughs> you know, it's, it's time. It's time. It's I a gotta, wrap. Yeah. yeah. I got to wrap it up. Officially put it to bed. Gary yeah. Marshall said, when do you know the film is done? And they said, when the release date comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, you know. I found I kept tweaking, but then I wondered if at some point I was tweaking and now it wasn't working. And because I, I was going back the next day and I would change things um, back to the way they had been, and I was just like, I think it's, I think it's done. And my wife was saying, you need to stop. <laughs> like it's, it needs to get out there. So too many right. nights up till midnight and you know beyond. Beyond. Yeah, I was just yeah. Say, way beyond. You start when the sun's up and you yeah. stop when the sun's up the next day and right. you know, yeah. stuff like that. So, Definitely. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, so what type of gear do you guys shoot on? I mean, are you guys gearhead? Joe's our resident gearhead, so mm. we always like to know what type of equipment folks are shooting on these days and, and things like that. We shot the whole movie on a Canon 5D, a DSLR, um, which I was amazed, um, which was great because we were able to get some shots I didn't think we were going to be able to get. We, we put our DP, Brad, in a lot of, and, you know, Brad, I need you to go in the trunk, and he'd be in the trunk. And um, there's a scene where someone throws a chair at the camera, and I used an old bed frame. 
um, that was plastic and I cut out a spot and we put like plexiglass there and he's right behind it and the, the uh, chair gets thrown towards it and um, you know, but he wouldn't have been able to fit back there with a big ass camera because there was yeah. just no room in the, you know, in the, uh, the space that we were in for that. So, um, so we signed a Canon, Canon DSL, uh, yeah, the Canon 5D and then, um, um, edited Final Cut 7. I can't stand 10. <laughs> so, um, we did that. And then for color correction, are you a fan of 10? I'm a 10 guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. In my defense, I started using 10 and then went back and tried 7 and then I went, well, I'm used to this. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes yes. you just want whatever you, you learn. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I found too. Whatever you, I had a freelance editing job for a while, and they they trained me on Adobe Premiere. Okay. And yeah. I did that solely for like two months, and I loved Premiere. And then I stopped. I I left the job because we actually were. I was starting to direct the movie, and um, I found that I uh, I I you know didn't want to go back to the Adobe Premiere because mm-hmm. now I was used to the Final Cut because I started mm-hmm. doing some stuff on Final Cut. So. Yeah, I think it's really what you get used to. You kind of end up saying, that's my thing. And then, right. you, you know, know what? You know where all the shortcuts are. You know mm-hmm. where this is. You get used to it. And I remember going 2 7 and going, it's all there. It's, yeah. It works great. It's yeah. just th- too much to relearn. <laughs> right. Where's this? Right. Like me using right. Filmora? Yeah. <laughs> He's using Filmora right I'm now. Not, just, I'm not a real editor. <laughs> <laughs> he just dabbles. I just dabble. <laughs> I just I'm I like mash stuff together and like just send it to Joe and say make it actually look good. Make I it go, look I, good, go yeah. I go. This is just what these are the bits that I want. Right, he right, he right. gives me a template and goes, "This is the idea I have," and I go, "Okay, now I have to do it." Because <laughs> <laughs> it's easier for me to mash them up yeah, than say yeah. it, you know. So sure. I'd rather visually give it to him. Yeah, that's no, true. It's true. It's it's uh you know finding the right. St- I think part of the thing is um finding the right equipment for your project. Yeah. And I've seen stuff when I was talking about all those people who had sent us their reels and stuff. There were people that shot stuff on on uh, Reds, mm-hmm. and I was like, my God, the, our um, our camera from like eight years ago looks better than this. You still yeah. got to light it right. Right, you know? I was just gonna say it's all about the lighting. Yeah. That's what he, so your DP does all the lighting as well. So he's lighting guy and yeah. DP. Of yeah, course. so right. I mean, sure. We went over the script. I told him I want certain sections of the film. I wanted specific looks. Um, I wanted a very Norman Rockwell, Thomas Kincaid look to a lot of the family home mm-hmm. scenes um, because the purity was still there. You see at the end, the saturation start. If you compare the scene that Coop has with his wife in the very beginning of the movie and then the argument they have, the saturation has been sucked out of that. It's a lot very, very cold and dark. And um, and Brad understood exactly what I was talking about. So, mm-hmm. And then some of the addiction scenes have a greenish tint. Um, some of the, I mean, I'm not the first person to have done it, but I realized I really wanted that for the movie, that yeah. I wanted certain specific looks. And some of the law enforcement scenes just have a little bit more of a harder, grittier, colder. yeah, colder, grittier, yeah. Co- higher contrast look. So yeah. I tweaked all that stuff. And then when we sent it to the post coloring house, I told them, I really want you to keep these looks, just make it look consistent throughout the scene, right. you know? So, right. um, but yeah. It's, uh, nice. But yeah, you, you you find the right equipment and you do your stuff. So it's um, but the Canon, I was really impressed with DSLR. I thought it was awesome. Yep. Is that the first time you shot it, or is that something you guys shoot on all the time? <clears throat> no, we used to shoot on a Panasonic. Uh, what is it? AGM HC one fifty. We've since sold it, so I don't remember <laughs> everything. But um, we we own two seventy Ds, the the lower model than the five D, and that's kind of our go to camera for mm-hmm. things. So it, I understand the Canon platform is is just amazing for. Uh, the simplicity mm-hmm. of it. You and know, when you light it when you light it right. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. you really can't really. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, he would show me stuff. It was I, he would post pictures up uh, from the week shoot, 
or the weekend shoot. And then I was, we didn't have any green lights. Where did the green lights come from? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You just tweak. You just, I just tweaked the mm. contrast because I knew what was in there. Mm-hmm. And he would, and I was like, holy crap. So yes. I suddenly started, there were ideas I wanted certain scenes to look at. And then I'm looking at the footage at home and I'm just up in the contrast or the saturation or dropping or this or that. And I was like, wow. I mean, he, he knew exactly what type of light he needed, the data that needed to come into the, you know, the, the be recorded in the camera mm-hmm. so that you had all those different spectrums in there. So that was really, that was awesome. That now, was, was really that cool. a one camera or a two camera shoot? The whole thing was one. One camera. So Impressive. Yeah, there was. a the two camera guy over here. Yeah, I wanted to. Yeah. We but we did, we did Bad Luck Charlie one camera. We, we've done, we've done, we've yeah. done some films on, on one camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I prefer the two camera thing because you can have. Saves a lot of time. It does. But, you know. For me. I, I'm 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 the type of director that you get out there, and I'm like, I want you to improv. Mm-hmm. I want you to do something different here. Try mm-hmm. this. Try this. And if you have both cameras, you have both angles. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. If you have the one angle, okay. Well, you did this improv. Now this person has mm-hmm. to react to this. Mm-hmm. To me, that's it's much more difficult. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a much harder job to do a single yeah. camera to me. Yeah, I, you I, shoot I, differently. You design it differently, and you yeah. mind knowing if you're going to yeah. shoot like no, that. I, right. No, I. I wanted to, yeah, but <laughs> right. He didn't have to, so we went with budget. Budget constraints. Yeah, we all want a several million dollar budget. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's get... um, no, but I was I was really impressed with the actors in the film because there's scenes where um, there's an the interrogation scene where I kind of try to get a little funky and I split the, I split the uh, the frame up. Yes. Um, and there's times where um, uh, Nick, who plays Coop, turned his head, and now those are completely different takes, but it lined up. With, and I was amazed. I thought I was going to be having to do some type of like you know, David Fincher esque of breaking the frame and changing that yeah. to a different whatever. And I didn't have to. So sometimes I was, you get lucky, right? Like, whoa, it does work. Well, I know, I, I love it. Do you know the nice thing about working with people for eight and a half years <laughs> is that you just get a very shorthand, and it's like everyone you, your your beats and your pacing has to be the same. Keep yeah. try to keep them the same, but it has. to... I want you to keep it fresh, but do everything that you've already done, like, you know, four or five times. Sure. Right. Um, Come but, up with a new spin on the same old thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want you to reinvent the wheel, but make sure it's, you know, a circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, yeah. But no, it's, it's really, uh, that's the nice thing, is that you yeah. had that type of, you know, material to work with when you're editing. So, very sure. cool. Now, Phoenix Films, you created that. I mean, do you like, the, um, how would you describe the way you work with that? Like your company, what is your role? You're the president of that company? Yeah, I'm the president. Um, Janine is the treasurer, um, and Nick is the VP, and Kate is the business director. So the four of us own it. Um, and uh, Nick, um, uh, Janine, and I founded it, uh, along with someone else who's since left um, relatively early on. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a business. You know, I don't... It's it's you you do all this creative stuff, but you need to have this you know superstructure underneath that allows you to do the creative fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, you know it's an LLC. We made sure it was an LLC when we started. Uh, we wanted it to be official. We wanted to tell people that you know this is the real deal. We're not just playing at this. Um, sure. And um, you know it's but it's a I, whatever business is is what we're doing basically. So there's. <laughs> You know, forms and taxes and, you know, all that fun stuff that has to be done. And then, uh, you know, and trying to get investments and um, PR for your company and, you know, which I met you fine folks today and, you know, things like that. So, exactly. Do you do any crowdfunding to fund any projects or private investors? Yeah. Or? We did. We've done two crowdfundings. Um, we did Indiegogo 
and I think we made $75 thanks to my uncle. And mm-hmm. then... Uh, and then we did. David's uncle, thank you very much <laughs> yeah. for that $75 for contribution. Yes. Uncle Jerry. Uh, Hopefully he'll listen and subscribe to our podcast. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know. We'll be talking about you for the rest of a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so he had given 75 and that was about it, you know. And then, um, and then we went to a film festival and we met a guy who, uh, the founder of Indiegogo, and then this other guy who was the first one to break, like, the, I think, the $50,000 mark on Indiegogo. Okay. Um, this guy, John. And, um, you know, we sat there and just soaked up, you know, everything. Um, and then I uh, friended him on Facebook, kind of kept in touch with him, and used all of his strategies, which is it's your business. Like, that's your job while you have a campaign going is yeah. to get people there. Mm-hmm. Um, we used a lot of his techniques, and we raised um, – I forgot how much we – I think we raised – 5,000 bucks, um, which is what we needed. We weren't trying to overkill it. We were Mm -hmm. trying to just get what we needed. Sure. Um, Because we knew we had some investments coming in. So this was going to help us buy, like, a lot of the initial stuff that we needed because the investment stuff wasn't going to be coming until a little bit later. Um, But, yeah, we've done the Indiegogo and the the crowdfunding. And, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's good, but it's a lot of work. And as more name people are getting into um, the crowdfunding thing, it, it, you know... I don't know if it makes it harder for indie filmmakers, but it is, um, I think people then expect your project. Well, why come you didn't make so much money when so-and-so just, you know, made $2 million? Sure. Because they're so-and-so and they made $2 million, yeah. that's why. So, but, yeah. but I think it's becoming more accessible to uh, the average guy when the, if the big guys are now doing it mm-hmm. and going, hey, there's this, people are like accepting the fact that, hey... You know what? Let me reach in the pocket and, and fund this this thing that I see, the next thing that I see mm-hmm. that's good. So yeah. it, it has its ups and downs both ways. Well, filmmaking is, I believe, getting into the hands of the people, so to speak. It does. Um, and studios don't know what to do with it. You know, they're, they and when we talk to some people who have more inroads, they're like, studios are at a loss. Like, they just... And look, I love the superhero movies. I grew up on that stuff. And I think they're doing a lot of great character development, to be honest with you. They're getting some of the best actors. Mm-hmm. Take a character like Captain America. I said to a friend of mine, they will never, ever, ever make a Captain America movie. <laughs> you can't do a Captain America movie. It's, I kept thinking of the guy on the motorcycle with the helmet back mm-hmm. in the 70s. Yep, Captain yep, yep. America. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and then they get the right guy, this you know Chris Evans, and he f- just gets the guts and the heart of that guy. Just had it. Mm-hmm. And now that's amazing. You know, that's one, I think, their strongest character in the yeah. whole thing going on. So, well, it's also having the correct writing for them mm-hmm. and the correct scenarios for them, too, yep. which is just they're getting a chance in that whole universe to be able to flush out the good and the bad. Yep. So, yeah, it's true. And, you know, so besides those films, when you're talking about, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the character non superhero films. Mm-hmm. The the fact that there is this accessibility now where you can go and get a, a, a Canon 5D or whatever the newest model is um, and make something that looks amazing, as long as you have the technical expertise and the creativity, is changing things. Where people are now, I mean, you think about it, like 10 years ago, there was Amazon, you know, who had their movies on Amazon? Studios. Yeah. Right. Who has mm-hmm. it now? In the indie, tons of indie people. Yeah. And people are starting to watch them. They're starting to check them out. So it's like even when someone trashes you on a review, it's like, dude, you still watch the movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you wouldn't have done that 10 years ago, so <laughs> one for us, you know? Um, right. sure. Because 10 years ago, no one would even want to watch, well, who's an ad indie? What's that crap, you right. know? Um, 
Well, indie so. is becoming the mainstream because it is. it's just we're and and it's good and bad because there's so much content. I mean, that yeah. that is the upward hill battle that as filmmakers we're facing. There is just so much content yeah. now, right? Yep. It, it's yep. from web series to film, feature mm-hmm. films, shorts. So Mu- getting the yeah, attention, music as well, it's music, the same thing. Yeah. just yeah. getting attention span from audiences, and that's why being on your game, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of creativity, storyline, character development, and knowing who your audience is yep. that you're creating for. Yeah, you know, before you go out, I mean, I. I when anytime that these guys pitch scripts to me, it's always the same thing. I'm like, who's gonna watch it? <laughs> you know, it's like, why, why are they watching? Why, <laughs> why are they gonna watch it? Tell me why they're gonna watch it. Sure. I was yeah. like, it all sounds great. But why are they gonna watch it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. It's, but you got to think. I'm like, when we were making this movie, we said, well, who's gonna want to watch this? And we right. said, well, anyone that has a family and is worried about their family, because right. you don't know who's gonna become addicted to something. You know, who might have an accident, and get addicted to painkillers. You know. Um, but it is. You do have to ask, well, who's going to watch this? Like, who's our audience going to be? Mm-hmm. And um, like I mentioned, we audience tested this movie four or five times, and we kept on getting really positive results. And I was convinced it was just that, you know, it was just the way things were going. Maybe somebody was, you know, giving everybody a 20 when they walked <laughs> in or something. Like that. Um, but then we started doing it in front of uh, – we brought it to Fordham, and we brought it to a group of social workers. Mm-hmm. who tend to be very critical. <laughs> they yeah, tend to be yeah, somewhat yeah. critical folks. Um, and I think the movie hit an 80% approval at that point, and I was like, all right, I think this is this is hitting into something, so that's good. And and who, and who we asked, I think, on our audience testing, um, what do you do, you know? And it was, it was all across the spectrum. You know, teachers, unemployed, retired, you know, you named it. It was lots and lots of people who were who seemed to be relating to the film, and then I said, "Well, this is a nice, a nice broad audience." At first, I thought maybe it would just be, um, uh, you know, maybe law enforcement would really like the film, or Matthews, or, or Matt. No, I'm just kidding. They're not watching movies. Well, the right. They're too busy, you know, doing other things. But exactly. the they're, subject... wa- they're watching it for tips. You know, <laughs> right, but to, that's yeah, how you make yeah, it. Yeah, they yeah, know yeah. how to cook it now. Yeah. Well, we didn't show. There, there <laughs> no, was one point right. where it's being made, we purposely didn't. Sh- we just had it all off screen because we didn't want to you know, <laughs> right. lead anybody down the wrong path. <laughs> <laughs> good thinking, good thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, the subject matter is real enough and touches close enough to home that you can hit that mass audience. It's the reason why shows like Intervention or, mm-hmm. you know, so popular other things i mean um you know it's interesting so did you find a lot of success at all um in particular with the long island audience with this film or is it i mean you went to festival mm-hmm. right i think you yeah. want to you won quite a few awards nominated for quite a few awards um did you find your audience is localized or is digital distribution just flattened that for you um, um no i feel like the audience is uh, – we went down to Houston, the World Fest Houston, which is the, the third oldest, I think, film festival in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really care about filmmakers and up-and-coming filmmakers. And it was the best experience I had had at a film festival in the eight and a half years we've been doing this. Nice. So um, they um, – I was I was I didn't know what to expect after the screening. Um, I mean, you're, first of all, you're blown away because you're, you know, your film's up on an AMC on a, mm-hmm. what are that, 50, 75 foot screen. I was just like, oh, it still looks good. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> right, right. Um, my head is giant <laughs> up there. <laughs> I've never seen my nostrils so big. Um, but yeah, it was just like, you know, and then afterwards I was like, oh, okay, now the Q&A, this is where we get killed, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm like waiting. 
and we had all these people start telling us how much they love the movie and they and everything that people said up in New Jersey and New York um and up in northern New York and Oswego where we'd also brought it these people were saying and I, I just remember thinking that's fascinating that you can be in a completely different area and actually to film festival. So granted, they're filmmakers, so they're yeah. going to be. Um, but sometimes filmmakers are unbelievably harsh. Critical, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I thought that was really cool. That had me very excited that we were doing really well there. And so many of the things that people had said during the audience testing, they were saying at this. We were hearing a lot like this would make a great TV series. You're going to use this as a pilot and try to get a TV series off of it. And we. So yeah, we're thinking of you know, you know, we're looking at it, we're looking at it. So um, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was, it's always open for expansion. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, one of the people that were suggesting it is actually uh, uh, her name's Julia Swift, and she uh, had invited us us uh, up to Champlain College last weekend um, to talk to her film students because she loved the movie so much, and she used to write for Smallville. So nice. I was pretty right. thought that was pretty cool. Sure. So, but um, yeah, it's you know, I I thought that was awesome that we we were hitting. A lot of the same nerves, you know. People, that's I think that's the thing that's really cool about film, is it becomes it can can become that thing that we all have in common that we want to talk about. Even if we hate it, you're still talking about it. You know, you still <laughs> saw the same thing, and now you're kind of talking about your perspective based on what you saw on, on a huge screen or a tiny screen or your phone. That's the other thing nowadays. Right. You know, sure. You know. So, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, as we start to wrap up, um, we like to leave um, our audience with a little bit of information and advice. And, you know, you being a, a growth company going into your phase two, what did you learn from making Clandestine that you can apply to your next feature film? Um, I, the most important thing for me is make sure that you spend the time getting a good team together, um, having a good crew, having people you can rely on. Taking the time, uh, we when we first started, we talked about getting the right DP. We had gone, th- we were ready to start, maybe three or four false starts with DPs. Um, and we finally found the right guy, and I was so thankful that we found the right guy. So, um, because you need that, and you need the right sound guy, and then you need the right composer. And you don't need people, you know, you want people not to, you want people to give you suggestions, but at the end of the day, for indie film filmmaking it's not really a democracy you know it's i'm the director ultimately and this is what i want to do um but it is good to take the input because there's been things that i haven't liked but i've trusted my crew and in that moment i didn't like it and then i filmed it like on the last take um and then i used it (laughs) you know because i'm looking at i'm going this is a change it changes from what the rest of the notes are it gives it a little sharp or flat or something so um, I think the most important thing is is take your time, get a good crew, get a good team, get people who are confident in themselves so they're not challenging you just for the sake of challenging you. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I think once you do that, you are on like the right steps towards having a positive experience. No one can control if the movie's going to be successful or not. None of us can. I know we all wish we could. But it is uh, or successful financially or publicly. It may be the best movie ever made. No one may ever see it. Yeah. You know, so, um, but I think that's really the biggest advice I would give is is get people that you really can trust and rely on um, when you make your stuff. 
Cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, David, thanks so much for coming out. We appreciate you taking the trek out here to lo- lovely Long Island. <laughs> Do you want to promote any of your yeah. sites or anything? Exactly. Where can people find the movie and yourself? Yeah. Um, you can go to phoenixfilms.com. It's uh, F-E-E-N-I-X films.com. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, once again, F-E-E-N-I-X.com. <laughs> if you put that in the search. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um uh, Nick is the VP, so is Janine. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and you can see the film on uh, iTunes, Amazon. Uh, it's available DVD and download to uh, rent or buy. It's also on Google Play. It's on Sony PlayStation, and then it's on Dish Network. Sweet. And there's other ones on the way, but Sweet. they haven't happened yet. Well, we'll have links for all those in the blog post to accompany this. And awesome. uh, David, thanks for coming out. 